Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to Two Packs of Maggots and a Packet of Hooks, the fishing podcast. It's a brand new year, so a happy new year and a big welcome to the third series. Um, it's 2022 and we're going to carry on where we left off with big names in fishing and also taking a review of anything interested in the press and also in the tackle shed, looking at anything that's caught the eye. However, for this year, we're going to have a little bit of a twist on it and we're going to start looking through a little bit of the archives. So in the tackle shed, I've dug out some some real old school magazines uh, and rather than going through just solely the latest uh, printed press and also what we've seen on social media we're going to refer back to how it used to be as well so let's look at some tackle prices back in the day let's look at some of the methods and tactics how much have they changed who knows so we'll have a little review of that as well but in the press pack something different and what we're going to do on this episode to kick off 2022 is we've invited a very very special guest uh, to talk about their concept and the impacts that they are having on angling and it's dave lyons from tackling minds so without further ado let's have a chat with dave and let's see the wonderful work that this charity is currently doing Hi and welcome to the Press Pack and as I said in my intro to kick off 2022 something very very different. You may remember that earlier last year around episode two or three I discussed some of the interesting issues that were raised in the angling media around mental health being raised and fishing being a solution to mental health problems as part of the NHS's new program. Well since that time one particular charity has sprung to mind many, many times, and it's been across the press, getting lots and lots of great plaudits. And it's called Tackling Minds. And we're lucky enough today to be with one of the main brains behind Tackling Minds, and that is Dave Lyons. So, Dave, just before we get cracking, thank you for joining me. And I just want to ask you the question to introduce the organisation and the charity to the listeners. So, thanks for having me on to start with. Um, so, basically, tackling mines, we use the many benefits of fishing, as, as, as anglers know, to basically help people, aid people who are possibly struggling with mental health problems, addiction, they come from um, low social backgrounds, etc. So, anybody who's generally struggling so how did the idea come about? I mean, I know of the the organisation because you utilise uh, a water from a club that I used to be in when I lived in Manchester, at Radas, Rochdale and Anglin Districts uh, Society. I know that you guys have been have been taking people on there. So how did it come about, um, you know, getting anglers on the bank, if you like? 
Yeah, that, that's great. I didn't realise that you was a member of Ravas. Yeah, a great water and what a supportive bunch of people they've been as well. So the idea about tackling mines came about through my own personal struggles with my own mental health. Um, I suffered and still do to this date with generalised anxiety disorder. Uh, it sort of led me on a bit of a dark path. I used to self-medicate with alcohol and um, it's... For me, it was my only go-to crutch that that sort of got me through the day. And unfortunately, I sort of became really dependent upon that to the point where I was physically addicted to it. So over the last few years, I'm 18 months sober to date. Um, I've really like struggled on and off with um, yeah my alcohol addiction. I've been in and out of detoxes for to date. And... There was nothing more beneficial than getting back out on the bank. I'd not been fishing for going on to nearly 20 years. And that, you know, that love for the sport has, has never left me. So, yeah, I could see what it was doing for my mental health, my well-being. Um, it was better than any medication I've been trialled on. I've been on a million and one different ones. Talking therapies, counsellors, you name it, I've been there. And, again, do nothing that compared to what I was getting out of being getting out of fishing again. So I wanted to take that idea knowing that if it's worked for me after struggling for so many years, it's surely got to work for other people. So I started a Facebook group. If it was helping out one other person, getting another person on the bank, then great. If it was helping a few of others, then even better. And just things really gained traction from then on. It was picked up by a number of the larger tackle organisations, be it Angling um, Trust and um, some of the bigger tackle companies. So Angling Direct and Shimano have been ex extremely supportive in, in what we're trying to achieve. Now, we've got a number of volunteers um, that help out. Without the volunteers, you know, this wouldn't be possible. So, yeah, it was my idea initially, but I always, you know, did, again, with, without the volunteers, you know, we wouldn't be able to um, help out as many people as we do. Which, you know, one of the things that I think stands out or a lot of people think about big tackle manufacturers and, and sort of bait companies and whatever, that I guess they sometimes leveled at them that they don't put enough back into angling. And I think what you're demonstrating and what you're saying there is now you're starting to get back in. I mean, I had, I had one earlier on uh, last year when we were talking about uh, with Keith Arthur about Get Hooked on Fishing, which helps people with disadvantaged backgrounds, a lot of youngsters, have a go at fishing and just take the stresses and strains away from life just to go fishing for the day. And and after that, we then got um, Tommy Pickering and Fuca. They sent a load of bait and, and that was a real highlight for me just by having that conversation sparked an interest and then got the ball rolling and got some free baits to, to that charity so it's not that i think that the tackle companies and bait companies don't want to help i think it's just that we, there's not that many charities and not that many organizations that that do the sort of things that you're doing and now that you're getting a lot of exposure across the angling press as well i guess it's growing from strength to strength yeah, it is massively going from strength to strength. And, you know, to be recognised from some of the larger tackle companies, I think it is such a great thing that, you know, it's it's great what they do in terms of um, how they run the business and what they supply to us anglers. But, you know, to give something back to the sport that we all love is, um, yeah, is amazing. And to actually have received, in, like, the initial emails or if it was a message via Facebook of, 
I, I mentioned the two companies, Angling Direct and the Shimano, but there has been a number of others as well. It was it's really overwhelming, and you know they, they've always said if you want anything, if you need anything, just just let us know. If it's organising an event, if it's tackle, if it's if it's clothing for your volunteers, uh, and that's just like the small part of it. And you know it's still sort of in its early days, and we are just like skimming the surface with this at the minute. But there's the support to come further down the line, and the ideas that we've got moving forward with the support of these organisations is going to be like really exciting and just just what the sport's definitely needed. Yeah, well, for me, I mean, if I had one small part from me, if, if if this gets in front of one person that then maybe gets in touch with you guys, and we'll go through that in a bit, how we can get in touch and how people can sort of reach out to you, um, then that's my job done as well. You know, one small part that I can play. What I did notice, though, and I found quite interesting, we've seen some big names um obviously talking about your organization and, and the volunteers etc the one that stood out for me is a bit of a hero of mine was ricky atten and <laughs> i saw that he's involved which is fantastic and i also saw a great message from matt hayes the other day so how have these famous faces how are they getting involved yeah so getting ricky on board was unbelievable and um, there is a bit of a backstory with with ricky and um my relationship with him so He's very good friends with um, my other half, Jenny. Um, and when I was going through like my bad time with my addiction issues, um, Ricky kind of went out of his way to video call me on a number of occasions. Just, you know, he could resonate with what I was going through and just used to phone me up and just give me that a bit of moral support. You know, it was, again, I use the word overwhelming. It, it, it really was. Um, to, to get a phone call, to be getting that support of, you know, four times world boxing champion. And, and things like progress from then, he saw me go through my recovery and come out of the better side of it, thankfully. And, you know, it wasn't long before I came out of detox and got back into my physician and came up with the idea. And, you know, I, I then got to know Ricky on a personal level. I'd go to his house. My, you know, my other half doesn't live too far from him. So he became like pretty pally with him and, you know, I explained what I was doing with tackling mines. And again, he could really resonate to the idea I had, you know, he, he always says if it's boxing, if it's football, if it's, you know, fishing, if it's putting your mind to that a different output and, you know, you're getting outside, you're engaging with other people, then, you know, it's, it's a no brainer. So, um, yeah, after knowing Ricky, like over probably just going over a year and a half now, a little bit longer, um, I was at his house one evening and I ended up cooking for um, ourselves and, and a few of our friends and just later on in the evening got chatting and he's always like, he's such um, a down-to-earth bloke and he'll always go out of his way to ask how I am, you know, as in my, how is my mental health and stuff and we got chatting about tackling minds as we always do and he'd already been supporting the page through his social media. I just said, how would you feel about being an ambassador, you know, with, with your background, with your own mental health and, you know, I, I didn't know what he was going to say. I thought there might be some legalities because obviously, he's, you know, he's, he's also a brand. And he just, without any interruption, it was just, yeah, of course I will. And then before you know it, he said, this is what I can bring. This is what I can do. This is what I will do. So again, like with the organisations I mentioned, you know, things with Ricky, it's still very early days, but we've got some really exciting things that, you know, are in the pipeline that he's more than eager to help out, which is it's unbelievable, really. Yeah, no, brilliant. I love it. And uh, like you say, he's had his own battles and, and coming out the other side with his gym and that. And, you know, he's found his way of, of sort of 
getting himself on the straight and narrow and, and you have with, with the fishing. Have you got any examples? Like I say, it's early days, I know. Um, but have you got any examples of maybe some of these early adopters that you've took out, they've been on Radass, been on other waters, done some fishing, caught a few, who have stuck at it and, and have really found the benefits and now become full-time anglers? Or are, are they anglers already? And it's just something that they want to do for their own mental health. Or have you got a mixture of the two? Yeah, we've got a, a bit of a mixture of the two, but you know, I've got some unbelievable stories that like spring to mind when you were just saying that then. And then, um, yeah, so there's, there was one individual who came from an organisation we work with called Healthier Heroes. Now, they're army veterans who suffer with PTSD. Um, Ronnie, the guy's called, he won't mind me mentioning his name. Um, and he, he used to just, he'd come along with a group one one afternoon and he stood behind everybody and was like, you got to sit down and have a go. And he just wasn't interested. He just, you could just see it just like, you know, this isn't for me. And we talked to him around, got him like to sit down, sat fishing a pole at one of the commercial fisheries. And before you know, he's catching. So come to the end of the session, he's still there, sat down enjoying himself. And the minibus was waiting for him to leave. And he's, (laughs) He's like, I don't want to leave. We had to like tell him, you're going to have to go. Otherwise, the coach is going to be leaving without you. So he's one individual who now comes week in, week out. You know, um, He's got himself a rod license, as the other guys who we work with from Healthier Heroes. Yeah, and they come week in, week out. They're learning. We've had classroom sessions with them, and they've now got their own tackle. And they're just, they're just really eager to get involved and want to continue. And... Again, some of them have said some great stories of, you know, when they've caught some, like, great fish. One of them, John, caught a, a fish. I think it was around 15-pound carp on the pole. He was saying, you know, this is, like, the best day out I've had in, like, I can't even remember. And just too weird, you know, to hear that feedback and to get the impact to see the work our volunteers are doing is amazing. No, I love it. It's it's just a great thing. I mean, now, it, for me, synonymous, we talk about Ricky Atten, we're talking about my ex-club water, if you like it. So I'm thinking Northwest, but I guess that Tackling Mines is spreading its wings. And are, that, are the events currently happening or plans happening with other volunteers around the country? When I first started this and like to this day now, the, the amount of clubs across the country who say, can we use your model? Can we use, your, can we use the name Tackling Mines to do something similar to what you're doing on? It's, it's not quite straightforward because of the legalities involved in it in, in terms of needing a DBS, you need your level two, um, somebody needs to have a level two angling coach award um, just for insurance purposes. Um, but we are in talks with um, a couple of organisations actually to, to roll this out on a national scale. It's, it's very early days at the minute, but we're due to sit down in the next few weeks to... Um, to basically discuss getting yeah to get getting it out across the country, which at the minute it's in Manchester. Um, Manchester alone, we're running dated with requests for people to wanting to come fishing. So, yeah, the, the opportunity to to get this nationally is absolutely is huge, and to to help as many people as possible. So that that's our aim, and that's the direction it's going in. So we've just got to continue chipping away, doing what we're doing on. Yeah, let's see what happens down the line. Well, I just got to say a big, you know, massive sort of thank you for joining me on the podcast today and, and sort of spreading the word. And uh, we're looking forward to the to the plans that we've got moving forward. It's probably a it's probably a whirlwind for you, you know, what you're talking a year or so into it and, and already things are, are growing massively, which is just testament to the hard work that 
that you've put in and obviously um, the volunteers as well and the support from the various tackle companies. So just before we finish off, Dave, uh, give us a shout as how we can touch base with you and what the if there are any clubs that want to get involved with this expansion and or if there's anybody up in Manchester, the Northwest that want to get involved. So give us a shout out what they need to do. So if there are any clubs or individuals for that matter who'd like to get on board and join the team of volunteers and help out in whatever capacity it may be, um, you can contact us via our social media pages. So there is Facebook, just under Tackling Minds, as it is on Instagram. Our email contact is fishing at tacklingminds.org. Yeah, and just just drop us a message. We, you know, We get back to everybody who contacts us. All right, Dave, well, thank you very, very much for joining us on the very first episode of the podcast for 2022. And I wish you all the luck in the world. Thank you very much for having me on the podcast and, you know, and and showing us the support. It's, yeah, I really do appreciate it. So thank you. So there we go. That was Dave Lyons from Tackling Minds, giving us a bit of insight into the concept, how it came about, how his own struggles with mental health. born out this fantastic organization that he's put together and is now sort of you know growing organically very very quickly and fingers crossed to him and the rest of the team that this can be a national rollout and can help more and more people okay well moving on to the normal press pack if you like where we tend to look through uh, the angling media on a weekly basis or uh, the monthly magazines or anything on social media and as i said in the introduction piece on the podcast and we're going to do things slightly different in terms of looking back through the archives and just seeing where we are today in relation to how angling has been or was over recent years and and it's really fascinating i dug out a ton of old magazines that i sort of put together from the earliest one being 1993 right the way up to present day and as I've been flicking through and having a look, I found some of the things really, really fascinating. Um, the Tackle Shed piece, it, it, we'll look at an interesting point there where we can look at um, the prices of various items of equipment from those days right up to present day and, and sort of compare the two. You probably have to be of a certain age to appreciate some of the stuff that we'll go through. But as anglers, sadly, we are getting on a bit now. The average age of, of an angler is, is, is increasing. It's really important that we try and introduce more and more youngsters and new blood into the, uh, into the, uh, the sport. Uh, but the first one. So to give you an idea of the, the things that I've been looking at, magazine wise, as a match angler myself, it was obviously that style of fishing, if you like, that I uh, started picking up when I was a youngster, around sort of 13, 14 years of age. I fished my first match when I was 13 or well, 12, going into 13, about 1993. And um, that's when I started buying the likes of Match Fishing Magazine and one of my personal favourites was one that was an offshoot of the Angling Times and it was called Angling Plus. Now, let me pick up my magazine here because there was uh, this one. So we're going back. I tried to, to stay as close to the month as possible that we, uh, we're talking about. And this one was December 1993. Uh, issue five of Angling Plus. Um, Darren Cox, our good old friend there, actually sent him a, a, a photo of this front cover, asked him whether he remembered it. And he does. He actually has a version of this in his office. Uh, Darren Cox on the front is on, it looks like Skanderborg Lake in Denmark. These were the days when the embassy pairs and matches like that across Europe were very, very popular. 
And this was one that caught my eye because it's one that I remember rushing to the local paper shop for to buy because there was uh, it was a festival um, special, if you like. There's a dozen or so pages talking about different festivals across Europe. Ireland being the main one, lots about Denmark. But then there's this really cool article, it's called Double Dutch, where it talks about anglers fishing the same swim um, in Holland on these big rivers that run through. And uh, yeah, pairs match is slightly different, whereas we're probably used to having a blind pairs that's drawn after a match or a pairs match where we, we pair up with our partner and we fish different areas of the fishery. And this is where two anglers literally sit on the same peg which brings a whole new dimension to pairs matches. So I always remember that, and that was, you know, that was sort of fascinating. And I flicked through the magazine. There's a very young Martin Green, um, who, if anybody knows, Martin Green is is, is pretty sort of high up uh, at Daiwa. Um, this is where he's on Will and Lake. Canal fishing legend Dave Barrow, if anybody remembers him, he's in here. But the main one, if I go to the news section, is uh, <laughs> this fascinating piece around the cost of angling. Now, what we mean by the cost of angling is essentially the cost of fishing an event or fishing a match at the time. And it's called limiting the cost. And it says, how much bait do you need to compete? And there's various fisheries that have been chosen to talk about, you know, what it costs to enter an event and, and if they've got a tackle shop on site, how much does it cost? So it says limiting the cost. The cost of competing in a match seems to have escalated in recent seasons, with bait being one of the major contributors. We asked the question, should there be bait limits? And then it talks about uh, a typical open contest can now cost a matchman around £40, while even club anglers face a bill between £10 and £15 for some of their contests. So that gives you an idea. Now think of what you spend now whilst entering a match, whether it be on the club scene or an open, whether it be a natural or a commercial, there's obviously differences in cost. So the four venues that were chosen by Angling Plus, and again, this is December 1993, just to give you an idea of these prices. So Willow Park, the matches at the time were run by John Raisin, Will's dad, um, £22 all in. That includes £3 peg fee and a £2 winner takes all. Um, other organisers may have variable pools. Morelands Farm, ten are all in. That's a three pound peg fee. Sometimes an additional two pound super pool. Decoy Lakes, fifteen pound all in. That's a five pound peg fee. And some organisers have an additional five pound super pool. And Docklow Pools, ten pound all in, which includes a two pound peg fee. Um, Bates prices on site. So Willow Park. Uh, maggots two pound a pint casters three pound a pint hemp one pound a pint and a kilo of continental ground bait two pound fifty moreland's farm maggots 190 a pint casters 240 a pint hemp 65p a pint decoy lakes maggots one pound 80 a pint casters hemp and continental ground bait are not for sale docklow pools maggots one pound 65 a pint casters two pound 20 a pint and just to think about your breakfast, for those of you that like to have a, a, a brekkie before you, you fish your match, uh, Willow Park, uh, full breakfast, including tea or coffee, £2.50. Morelands Farm, full breakfast with tea or coffee, £3. Decoy Lakes, no breakfast available at the time. Docklow Pools, full breakfast with tea or coffee, £3.50. So this is going back, you know, over so 25, over 25 years ago, 26, 27 years ago. And uh, they were the prices. So compare that now to what you're paying for your maggots your casters obviously the majority of our fish is now done with pellet so does that mean that pellet in relative terms is cheaper than it was to fish back then 
Um, we didn't all have bait fridges and the like back in the day. So anyway, there's another piece here about bait prices in tackle shops. And it's chosen some of these tackle shops are still with us. Some of us are not. Uh, in the north, Highfield Angling in Bolton. Maggots there were at the time £1.30. Casey Angling in Surrey, £2.20. Wade's in Peterborough, £2. And Veal's in Bristol, £2. Um, Pinkies. Highfield 150, Casey Angling 220, Wade's 220, Veal's £2. Casters, <laughs> this is the big one. Uh, uh, Casters now, you know, some are over £4 a pint. Uh, Casters at Highfield Angling at the time, £1.95. Casey Angling with three quid. Wade's in Peterborough 265, and Veal's in Bristol £2.75. So think about your fishing now and work out actually, has it gone up that much in these last 20 plus years? Or is it still all relative? Just think about it. A bag of pellets, what's that? Two fifty. You can normally get a couple of sessions out of them, so it's not too bad. Um, and even thinking about the cost of bloodworm and joker, we can probably go into that another time as well. I think now you're looking at about eighteen quid for half a kilo of joker with a max pack of bloodworm, um, twenty quid maybe. I'm thinking back in the day when I used to fish around that time, probably about eight quid for a match pack of bloodworm and joker so that certainly has gone up but maggots casters yeah you can see the prices very very interesting on to more modern news and in this month's magazines first of all match fishing which is a very good um edition january 22 i have been critical a little bit of match fishing over previous podcasts around then printing articles which seem out of sync with the season so, you know, we covered, it was into autumn and winter and they were still showing lots of features that were clearly covered in summer, etc. Well, we're bang up to date now and everything in this edition very much is of recent ilk, certainly the last sort of several weeks or so. And it's difficult in winter because of the fluctuations in temperature, which can have a massive impact on our catch rates. Just a couple of degrees uh, lower than... Um, you know, a steady settled spell and it can throw everything, some cold rain going in, etc. So it's a bit of a difficult one for winter. But these tactics in here certainly hit the mark. And also what I've noticed with match fishing as well as a lot of diary pieces in here. You, you regularly have Andy Powers diary piece, Matt Godfrey's in there, he's covering his month off, etc. So that's very, very up to speed. But um, the first article which really caught my eye, I'm sure we can all, those match anglers listening can take from, is our good mate Alex Doherty, who recently did our podcast with us when we did the fishery special. He's at Lindholm, of course, but it's called The long and short of it and essentially what he's doing is he's going through something which i really struggle with when i fish i'm not great at fishing a feeder at all sort of chuck it and chance it and hope it goes round sort of thing with me but he talks through the selection process of where he's fishing there's three swims in open water how he approaches it it's local lake as well which is a big open water for those that don't know it um and sort of mixing it up between a, a hybrid or a, a bomb and when to choose which in what circumstances and why and really goes through as to, to how he approaches an open water swim, which looks pretty featureless when you look at um, the imagery on the article. And I think that's one well worth a read, a one that you certainly think everybody would get something out of. 
And the next one which caught my eye was um, Josh, Josh Newman. It's called Hatching a Plan. Uh, Josh is, is from near me. He fishes this part of the world. Uh, young lad, 19. Um, he's an England youth international. And what he's done is he's jumped across over to Rycroft Fisheries, which is um, sort of Derbyshire away, where there's a real competitive autumn and winter league going on, silverfish. Uh, some great names on there. Sean Ashby, who we'll be talking to on this podcast. Uh, Darren Bickerton, previous guest as well. And a whole host of top names in uh, the East Midlands fishing Rycroft. This young fella, Josh, he's never fished there before. And he tells you how to hatch a plan, including the name, to approach a venue that he's never fished before against some great, great opposition. He talks through it, gives you an idea about his mixes, why he does what he does, the rigs, etc., as, as you would expect, when to use certain baits throughout the session, um, what to expect. Lovely net of fish he's put together. Um, I won't tell you where he came in the match, but let's say he framed, did very well on a lovely net of silverfish. And finally, again, another one that I think ticks the boxes for this time of the year, Will Raisin. Again, he tends to do these monthly features in match fishing and always relevant to to um, to the time of the year. Bit of a difficult one because Will's tend to be on Gold Valley, which of course is his fishery. So he's never going to struggle, which does throw, throw your mind a little bit. But what he's done on this one, he's chosen the Bat Lake. And uh, the Bat Lake is what it says on the tin. There is a, a bat house in the middle on the island, or there was last time I went. And um, it's slightly different from those more well-known waters, such as Middle or Syndicate or the Gold Lakes. It's a little bit smaller, a little bit more intimate. And again, he's talking about mixing it up between a method feeder and a pole line in the middle of winter and seeing where we go, mainly targeting F1s and carp. So again, a lot of us do fishing for those species at this time of the year. So that's one to check out as well. So check out the latest version of Match Fishing. I guess one final thing actually to note in here is the venue detective, Andy May's monthly piece. He's on a venue that I've not been for ages, but I used to really enjoy up in the northwest called Old Huff. It's in Cheshire, uh, not far from where Andy May uh, sort of, you know, resides. Um, and it's a cracking venue, loads of different choices of waters, mainly snake type canals but there's a bit of everything for the pleasure angler as well and he talks you through approaching that so if you are um around the cheshire northwest area if you've not been to old huff before it's a really really good venue Andy talks through it and whilst we talk about andy the news broke i guess recently regarding him leaving his sponsorship with map and moving on to pastures new and that's not been released yet but i think there's lots of guesses online so when we talk about social media it's being mentioned around guru because he did the recent guru podcast it's talking about matrix because he could be going there with his mate jamie hughes who knows i'm sure that will all come out in the wash but um i found that fascinating we talk about the press pack we can't dismiss social media of course because <laughs> there's so many rumors on there and and sort of fake news in some respects as well so yeah let's see where andy may uh winds up now as we're in the press pack and we talk about the archives the magazines old and new etc there is a bit of a trend taking place um we know that printed press it's sort of an, on the decline. There's a lot of people that like to physically have that magazine in their hands. But there's also so much information available online that people are sort of gravitating towards online content as well. Loads of good stuff on YouTube for completely free. You know, I always think if I had all this information to your hand when I was a youngster, then you'd learn so much more. And I don't know. It's a difficult one because as I'm reading through these older magazines, the detail is 
is absolutely there. The secrets aren't being kept from these top anglers back in the day, right through. It's just a case of putting it into practice, I suppose. But with a video material online, I guess seeing it put into practice is a different beast. I will have noticed I went through some files I had on on uh, my desktop as well. And I came across um, an old magazine I used to subscribe to. It's a, a, an online magazine, if you like. It's Will Ray's, and we just spoke about it. was called The World Champions Angle. This was from 10 years ago. So January 2012, number 36. And these, I guess, were the first iterations of a combination of, of written word and backed up by video content. It was by V2V, which is uh, V2V Angling Productions, run by Brian Gay. And he was the guy that, I guess, started off with these subscription models. And I think I used to pay, I don't know, a one-off fee, 30 quid or whatever, and it got you the year's worth of content. And it's, let's say it's written and it's printed, but as you read through it on the PDF file, there's these sections where it says click for the video. And the video opens up and Will explains basically what he's just said in written form, but it brings it to life that little bit more. Different people have different ways of learning and retaining information. And by having both written and visual, it's going to appeal to different people. So then I thought I'd come a bit more modern and just have a look at all these subscription models that are online. Um, and there's loads, of course. I think Think Fishing is one that's been going for such a long time. It's dead shipped it tons and tons of those um, subscription model. And you could watch his videos. Nick Speed has picked that up. Um, you've got the winning ways. Andy May, Jamie Hughes, we just spoke about. Yes, loads of content online on YouTube. But, of course, they've got their subscription piece where you get extra material. Um so I was having a little look through and, and working out, is any of this worth looking at? And I eventually settled and I have subscribed on something called The Edge. And if you're not familiar with The Edge, it's by Lee Kerry and Rob Wotton. So it's anglinacademy.co.uk. You subscribe to it uh, on a monthly basis. I think it's a five or a month, something like that. And you get extra video content. And one of them, I've only watched one so far, but it really opens your eyes. It's an underwater piece. And the edge is one of these. I think uh, Barry Zimmerman is uh, the main guy behind this, where he's, he's thinking about underwater footage and how uh, the feed's going in, how the fish are intercepting. You've got Rob watching on the camera, Lee on the pole, the box is on the canal. And there's another piece as well around fishing for carp. And watching this underwater footage really does open up your eyes. And it was that that tempted me to, to have a go for research purposes more than anything, to look at this bonus content and see what are we actually getting for this five a month. And as I say, watching that first one looks really, really good. So far, so good. There are there are loads of other stuff, you know. Paul Holland has got his um, his TV subscription channel as well, and so it's changing the written format, the printed press, through to now these YouTube subscription models and channels, and and you know it's it's not new. As I say, the Will Raisin one is ten years old, uh, and that was a mixture of the two, which I actually quite liked. I seem to remember that Match Fishing did something called uh, I think it was Match Fishing Plus, and they were. A sort of a, a, again a written piece where it would open up video content to back up what they were trying to say yeah I, I have a little look around it might be something that, that wets your whistle um for me we'll still keep going through social media and seeing what people are saying and, and of course the weekly angling times i don't even get that delivered anymore i have that as a, on an app so that's a different way of, of viewing your content as well so lots to get stuck into finally let's have a think and a little look at um 
improve your course fishing. So with improve your course fishing, we're very much in predator season. Um, fish are fattening up, thinking about spawning, you know, springtime, March, April, way before our normal course fish do. Um, so predator angling, for those listening that are into that style of fishing, there's lots in improve your course fishing. First piece is uh, fishing still waters for big perch. That's uh, Brian Scholes utilising the likes of prawns, big worms. And, and we know that there's some whopping great big perch in our commercial fisheries nowadays. And it's how do you approach those? You know, it could be prawns, mussels, etc. And how to, to, to approach them. Also, Duncan Sharman does a piece on pre-baiting for pike. And when you think about it, that absolutely makes sense. That when you're fishing for a shark in the sea, uh, you would put in a, a chum mix, a rubber dubby as they call it, and you know they'd follow that scent trail and, and that would be the idea of pre-baiting. Well, of course, the same thing makes sense for pike, especially when you're fishing on these big open waters, reservoirs. How are you attempting to extract pike into your area on such a big venue? And he's using the likes of a bait boat, chopped up, dead fish um and sort of trying to create that scent trail and get the fish into the area which absolutely of course makes sense um for these predators another one the predator theme carries on that's why i mentioned with this improve your course fishing edition there's a lot of predator action in here more of a match style um chat called chris selling he's down in the uh, i think he's fishing the berkshire canal around that area uh worm your way to a net of canal perch you know, perch are really, really important and matches on natural waters at this time of the year because they can really bulk up your weight and in some instances can be worth targeting on their own interspersed with a few, you know, silvers or if you can get among skimmers and bream, great. But perch are weighty, muscular fish. And this demonstrates exactly how you could approach a swim on a canal um, for perch. You could call them a bonus fish or you could call them the actual target species and of course worm is a fantastic bait to approach what we then have in improve your course fishing from page 57 for nearly 20 pages is called the bucket list of venues and it's a great idea to kick off a new year and give um the readership an idea of new venues that they can approach for this year and what's in there so there's 20 pages of fisheries from Catching a mixed bag, um, dock low pools on a waggler, through to you know catching big bags of carp at Todd Bermana, uh, big picturesque waters to catch bream and tench, so old Berry Hill fisheries, barbel on the Trent, predators, pike, tench, chub, loads to have a little look at. De regardless of what your style of fishing is, there will be something in this bucket list of venues to have a little look at. So that's quite a nice way to kick the year off and give the readership an understanding of where they can get to and at what they can catch whilst they're out and about. So improve your course fishing, good one this month, as is match fishing. So now let's crack on and get to the big chat with former world champion, Sean Ashby. Teddy Fisher Baits specialise in the manufacture of fishing ground bait and additives. We combine a 40-year-old proven fish catching recipe and the experience of our skilled team. Fishing is an adventure and here at Teddy Fisher we strive to make that adventure a success. Go to www.teddyfisher.co.uk 
to see our full range of baits. Hi and welcome to The Big Chat. On this very first episode of 2022, we've got an extra special treat for you because we've got another former world champion. It's Census and Style Stalwart, 2012 world champion, Mr. Sean Ashby. How are you, sir? I'm very good, you? Yeah, not too bad at all, mate. Happy New Year and all that. Yes, yes I you, yes. Now, on these podcasts, if you've, you're not familiar, we have a bit of a theme. It's called Past, Present and Future, and essentially... We talk a little bit about where you've come from, how you got to where you were and what your future plans are. So let us into a bit of a secret. First of all, what is the secret with Derby? Because you are the third angler from that neck of the woods that I've had on this podcast and you can all fish a bit. Is there something in the water? Uh, I was thinking about it the other day, funny enough, if we ever, if we ever had to um, sort of put a team in from, from a certain sort of uh, geographical area, I was thinking Derby would, be, Derby would probably have the best team in the country with, um, you've got Cameron Hughes, you've got Darren Vickerton, you've got um, Lee Wright would probably qualify, but Nigel Bull, um, Nathan Hughes, obviously. So, you know, we've got, we have a fantastic team. I don't know what, what it's all about, but... I know. Not too bad at all. You know, I think we were very lucky when we were, when we were younger, so, certainly sort of Nathan and, 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 uh, and myself and, and whatever. Because the fishing was so good round our way, with the Trent on the doorstep, yeah, uh, the the Trent and Mersey Canal was was very good at the, in them days as well. So I think we we was lucky that there was a lot of fishing around our area, really. Well, I know when I had this discussion, we we, we kicked off with Aaron, and he yeah. was talking about that some of the real well-run clubs that ground up, like Earl of Harrington, places like this. <laughs> was was that how you started? Was it through a club, or was it with friends, family? How did you kick off your fishing career? Um, well, it all started, I suppose. Obviously, when I, when I was younger, we, uh, we used to go away on a caravan. My mum and dad used to have a, a, like a spinning rod and go and catch a few fish out of the sea. And that sort of started me off. And then one of my mates, was his dad used to go fishing on the Trent and he used to tag along a little bit then. Yeah. Um, and it sort of just spiralled off from there, really. Um, in the end, there was like five or six of us go fishing nearly every day down the canal or the, or the Trent. Mm. You know, like, say, Nathan Hughes of this world and, and, and Darren and what. And it sort of went on from there, really. And then eventually, um, I joined a club called uh, Moorways Club, mm-hmm. uh, which had got some... In those days, club fishing was massive. You know, you'd, you'd maybe have 12 matches a year. You'd have two away days where you'd go to Welland or the Witham or the coach and that. And, and the coach, yeah. And the coach, yeah. But, you know, you a, ba- um, a box of beer on the back seat and all that sort of caper. And it, it was just um, it was just great learning, really. Some great anglers in, in, in... You know, it was a real good club. Some great anglers in there. And um, they sort of took me under the wing, under the wing, and 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 they sort of taught me how to fish. Really, are any of those uh, boys still knocking about, still with us? Do you see them still fishing? Sadly, not. No, no, not no. They, you know, they were in the, they were in probably in the forties then. I mean, you know, I was like sixteen, so yeah. Unfortunately, the, most of them are probably gone now. Certainly, the ones, and I see one or two, but um, the main. The, the main anglers in them have, have gone, I'm afraid, now. Well, I guess that's a bit of a theme. We can touch upon that a little bit about introduce, trying to get more youngsters into fishing and whatnot and, and yeah. um, how you see it, certainly in the international scene as well. But um, moving from there, then, from that local club, do you remember your first match? Um, I, remember, I remember being at school and fishing in those days, rather inter-schools competition. I remember that. Ah, okay. Uh, we fished on the, I can't really remember how many... How many schools put teams in? There was a big match, all at Willington, all down the canal, round there, all the way down mm. to Fitton, I think. 
And uh, strangely, I've come second with a belt, 12 ounces, I think. <laughs> Eight, not a bad start, is it? <laughs> and I want a fishing rod and that, you know, a, a decent sort of 13 foot float rod. And again, that's just all, all helped really to, um, to, to get me more into it, really. It does, it does. And then was it like, um, did you continue with the junior section then? Is that how it developed? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Within, within sort of the area, there was there was a real good junior scene. Uh, maybe, I think there was something like 40 or 50 kids on, on, a, on a Monday night would go, or Tuesday night would go and fish. Yeah, brilliant. Um, on the canals and the rivers. And, and yeah, it was, a, it was a massive scene in them days. You know, we'd go on a Tuesday and fish the kids' matches. There'd be a, a 50 or 60 peg open on the canal on the Wednesday. It was uh, it, it was great times, really. Yeah, and this is the thing. I mean, I think it's a theme throughout the podcast when we've had these discussions is, you know, you just can't envisage a 60-peg kids' match of an evening after right. school nowadays, can you? It's all, right. you know, football and PlayStations and just other distractions and whatnot. And it's, I, don't, it's... I don't even think, I don't even think the, the, the fishing club scene is the same, you know? I don't mm. know. We'd have, we'd have a meeting every Monday night, which is an excuse, obviously, for, for them all to go to the pub for... <laughs> of course, yeah, yeah. Hours, but... It was great. I was fifteen or sixteen and whatever, and it was it was just a. It's how I like to fish, really. It's the, you know the social side is still you know quite a big part of my fishing. Really, I know we were supposed to take it really serious and that, but you know I do like going back after after the matches and and, and having a bit of a laugh and talking. No, to abs- absolutely. I think that's born out of the team fishing as well, I guess. So was that um, yeah, yeah, was, yeah. was it a junior team that you had you was in? Sorry, before you developed into sort of like senior team fishing. We um, no, we fished the, uh, we, the, the the one of the local clubs or the major club in the area that owned a lot of the water was Derby AA, uh, yes. which is sadly gone now. Um, and they had they obviously they had a national team, and, and I can't remember how old I was, probably about seventeen, and and. And, and I joined Derby AA as well as as well as fishing for for, for the club. So I started fishing nationals at probably seventeen or eighteen. Mm. Uh, winter leagues, obviously, and then and, and, uh, the winter leagues were always on the Trent or the Canal. And then obviously we were fishing against some some brilliant anglers, the Starlets and Isaac Walton and people like that. Mm. Um, and it went up from there, really. Yeah, it's it's one of those, isn't it? Because you're learning off other people, you're developing all the time, you're bouncing ideas off of off of individuals. So, I mean, what what do you think about the state of team fishing nowadays, then, Sean? Because for me, I think it's buoyant. I think it's coming back. Um, I think there's talk now of nationals extending beyond Div- Division Two and and perhaps creating a new a new one as well. So. What do you think of the state of uh, match fishing, team fishing right now? Team fishing? No, I'm not quite as enthusiastic. It's not quite as enthusiastic. Uh, not the right word. I'm excited as yourself by the time. But I'm not so sure, really. I, I just think um, there's so much uh, emphasis now placed on, on individual matches and big money matches. Ah, that's where I'm going. Not, yeah, that's where I'm going with it. Don't get me wrong. It's not a bad thing, but there's, there's, you know, there's very little to gain out of team fishing. And and I think the youngsters now haven't been brought up through them clubs. They haven't had that sort of social side, and and, and I fear the worst for it, really, to be honest. Well, that's where I'm going with it because it was uh, this conversation's cropped up many times. I love to get people's different thoughts on it. Is the um, well, it normally goes down the route of sort of international fishing versus these big finals but also team versus them as well so i was interested in, in going down this route so i'm from the northwest so the northwest is an insane match scene uh, in, yeah. in, in nowadays it is because there's so few venues so you get massive turnouts i mean you've yeah. got somewhere like a partridge likes on a wednesday and there'll be 90 people on it 
it's, it's obviously not like the old days when you used to have 250 on the Witham, but in, in relative terms of today... Oh, it's massive. It's, 90 yeah. matches are massive match now, yeah. Big matches, yeah. yeah. So I've come from that sort of environment where everybody is, is very super individual if you like out for themselves there is a few team matches of a couple of winter league teams of four and stuff but in general it's all about qualifiers it's all about the big matches and and that's what whereas i move now to to lincolnshire and there is more of a natural feel more of a team feel i think because we've got those venues on our on our doorsteps with them uh the trend you know lots of canals the saws not far away and I, and i'm just like wow this is a different world from where I'm from now you're sort of in between the two you're between where I am now and where I'm from so yeah. your perspectives are quite interesting is that you don't know you're not as enthusiastic and about the team you're not too sure about where it goes it's really interesting um and one of the questions that I ask a lot as well is can you do the two can you go for these big money qualifiers as well as attempting to perhaps get into the international scene or doing really well in a team well, I think to, to, to get into the international scene, you've got to be part of um, you've got to be part of a, of, of a big team, and there's not many big teams left. Mm-hmm. But, but you've got to be mixing with the right people. You've got to be fishing. If there is any international star matches, you've got to be fishing them. Yeah. Um, having said that, obviously very few and far between. The census challenge is is probably the only one really in the country at the minute. Mm. Um, although although they are starting to fish. Things like blood and that again at Hallcroft, I've noticed. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think um, if you've got any aspirations to be to be an international lager, I think I think you've got you've got to join the Starlets or the Barnsley or the Dorking teams of this of this of this um, country, mm-hmm. and 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 try and get that sort of mindset about um, preparing, you know, preparation and and how to prepare for fishing matches with, with, with the best anglers in in, in the country. It's funny as well, you know. I was shocked. So we did a podcast with uh, with Zach Brown, who obviously mm. won the the big big match yeah. um, recently. And I was yeah. talking about match fishing in the south of England, and you just mentioned Dorking, then who he fishes for, and the amount of leagues and that you talk about decline of team fishing was certainly in that part of the world. Um, there's whole regions that have had to fold their winter league, and you know they've had to combine different. I think I think Dorking now fish the um, something like the Berkshire or the Wiltshire league or something crazy like that. Where it's always like traditionally that, Surrey. Yeah. I think match fishing natural sort of match fishing down there has been on decline for yeah a long long time. But I mean even our even our saw winter league has only got six teams. I mean you know when I first started fishing, there was 15 teams of 12 in the Trent division alone. Mm. It, so you'd have four pages of Anglian, Anglian Times uh, matches in, in, in the Anglian Times itself every week. Yeah. And um, it, I don't know where it's, I don't know where they've all gone, these anglers. I really don't, to be honest with you. Like you say, could be chasing individual glory. It could be yeah. the whole commercial piece as well. It's comfortable, it's close by. You know, I think most most people have a, a, a reasonable commercial which is comfortable and safe, probably within sort of 10-mile drive from where yeah, they live nowadays. Yeah, yeah, yeah so absolutely, yeah, yeah. Could be that as well. So, tell me a little bit then about um, your team fishing career, international-wise. So you've you've gone through this junior piece, you've you've sort of started fishing nationals at, like you say, 17, 18. Yeah, I joined the Starlets when I was about 21, and obviously uh-huh. I, was, I was then in, under the eye of, well, Mark wasn't, Mark wasn't actually in charge of the England team at that particular time, but... Obviously, he was relaying stuff back to people like Dick Clegg and people like that. Yeah, and I was and I was doing well on the winter leagues. We had a, we had a, we had great winter leagues. We had fantastic super leagues, uh, big super leagues in them days. And obviously, Brennan super league, yeah, Brennan super league, yeah. Mm. 
so you know, obviously I was doing well in them. Um, and and um, I can't think exactly how old I was, probably about 27, 28. Um, in those days, Dick Clay actually wrote me a letter inviting me to fish home international. Still oh, got a letter somewhere. Um, no emails then? Or text. No emails, no. <laughs> handwritten, handwritten on on National Federation of Angling uh, paper and yeah, would like would like to fish home international. So that's how it started. Around about twenty seven, twenty eight, I reckon. Mm-hmm. Um, that's Where was that? Do you remember? Um, the first one was at Cardiff Docks. Mm, yeah. Um, uh, I must have gone on my own. Possibly, I, I roomed with a very, very young Will Raven. Strangely enough, and God knows how old Will have been then. He'd been eight, sixteen, seventeen, perhaps. Yeah. Um, and obviously we fished the Cardiff docks. It was it was a deep, deep, um, deep at one end, shallow, a bit shallow at the other end, a small roach, and then some skimmer bream as well. And uh, I did well in women's section both days, come second overall individually. And it, it went from there, really. And then I fished four, five, or six other home internationals in various places, Scotland and, and England, and I think another one in Wales, I think. Um, who, who beat you on that first one? Who pipped you to the post? A guy called Rob Jones, who I've still seen now, Bishops of Thatchers. Ah, uh, Welsh. I think he beat about two ounces or an ounce. Something oh, like that. <laughs> gutted. <laughs> well, what happened to the home internationals? Is it is it something that could come back again, or it, it um... needs to? It needs to. I think I think it's it's, it's all down to money, isn't it? I suppose you know. Yeah. Mm. You know, people still got to you still got to find a venue, still got to find some accommodation, got to buy bait, and and. Um, it's it, it's a bit easier for, for English anglers, I suppose, because a, a lot of the English anglers would would have some kind of help, sponsorship wise, yeah, yeah. yeah, tackle or, or bait or whatever. Um, whereas you know the Irish and, and the Welsh and the Scottish might not have quite to anything quite to that degree, really. So I think it unless, unless it was paid for by the federations, I think it's um, mm. I think it's the past, unfortunately. It's a shame because it's, uh, it's you've just been talking about a lack of um, matches on. Under that international style, and that would be the Absolutely, perfect yeah. chance for the, the the teams to practice against each yeah. other, if you like, in a competitive environment. Yeah, um, but that, that, that's a point. I know it's been muted, and I know from, I would say probably, the feeder setup. Obviously, had a disappointing World Championships this year, yeah. and there's a big fallout that come out of it, where a lot of the guys have said, "Look, we just don't fish enough of these matches <laughs> under these conditions here in the UK." And obviously, it's the same for you guys in the float team. So, is there um, designs from the? I mean, I know Angling Trust are making a lot of designs about trying to hold a World Championship here, but before they get carried away doing all that, should we not be? Put, should they not be running more international style matches? Just uh, the, well, Half the, of the course. The, the, the simple answer is yes. Absolutely. Mm. I mean, um, the England float team at the moment currently is, is quite experienced to a degree. Um, we've, you know, we've been together a long time. We've been, you know, all over all over Europe. Uh, three or four of us in that team, and, and mm. that's that's no problem. You get a lot of experience. You've been places twice and whatever, whatever, whatever. But as as we as we filter out, obviously, as we get you know get older and we get filtered out, then. Even the youngsters that are that are going to take our places have not got that sort of chance of the experience. If you know what I mean? Yeah, I think their experience is is on the international scene as in the youth team, isn't it? You know, Matt Godfrey yep. and Rory, right. they've done all that in the, as, as youngsters. So it's not yep. doing it here in the UK under match conditions. But it's a lot different uh, abroad. You know, I was very lucky. I, I went, I've been to France probably twice a year for. 
20 odd years fishing various events in all over France. I've travelled to Spain uh, maybe for five years on the trot with people like John Deske and, and, and fishing matches in Spain. And, uh, and so you, you learn massive, a massive amount of stuff. Mm. Fishing in hotter countries or different different types of fish or whatever, you know. So they, they have got the, they've got to get hold of that somehow. I don't know how they're going to do it, but that's what they need to do. Mm. Difficult one. Well, with the French connection, obviously you're part of the census set mm. up. And the two questions that I've had uh, for yourself are, are both around ground bait, so I might as well throw them at you now yeah. as we'll we'll go into a, a French theme, if you like. Yeah. So the the first one uh, would be. What would be your ultimate mix on a natural venue? <laughs> and the guy that asked this question, I know he's talking about drains in this part of the world where I am. Well, I am uh, quite, uh, what's the word? Um, I, I don't like to make things too complicated. So I've got a mix that I use virtually everywhere. So whether it's on the trend or the drain, I've changed it, obviously changed it slightly, but basically I use, I use, a, I use a, a ground bait called Canal Fine Noir. Mm-hmm. As the base is the base of it, and yeah. then if I'm on a river that's flowing, I would put gross guard on in and probably some soil to make it you know give it a bit of weight. Yeah, and if I'm on the drains, I'd use canal fine noir and I'd use gross guard on fine. Ah, so there's two versions of gross guard. Is that a sticky mix? There's three versions. There's the black one as well. There's four versions actually now. There's a gross guard on, a gross guard on black, mm. a gross guard on fine, and a gross guard on fine black. Um, is it sticky? Gross guard on the normal gross guard on is sticky, yes, you get a lot of yeah. bait in that. The gross guard on fine is a little less sticky. And if you mix it with canal fine oil, which doesn't stick at all hardly, it makes the perfect mix, really. Ah, you'll like that. Well, the second one actually was linked in. You might have already answered it. But the, the other one was, what would be your, your favoured census mix? Uh, well, th- those are the two ground baits that I use. <laughs> yeah, I thought I'll they'd be linked, yeah. 75% of my fishing, whether it's, whether it's winter, summer, River, canal, not canal, river, drain, lake. Those are those generally what I use 75, 80% of the time. What what about, what's the difference with the canal then? What would you swap out there? Um, I would probably use, in the canal, I'd probably use something like match blend, um, probably on its own to be fair. Ah, okay, yeah. That's sort of a, um, a small fish sort of type of ground bait, quite salty. Um, it gets a lot of fish on that in the canals. There we go. That should answer the two chaps', chaps questions. Brilliant. Well, well, in terms of census, uh, how long have you been involved with them, and and you know how does it does it come about? To, you know, bait development and fishing with those guys, John Des that you just mentioned. There, you know, the legends of of French fishing. It's it's quite a absolutely. great position to be in, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, there's not only John Desk, obviously, um, uh, is the face of census, still is. Mm. Uh, you've got a couple of other guys. Um, you've got Eric. Um, and also Gilles Cordan, they're both you know French internationals, and there's a couple of uh, I think one of the there's three, one of the guy and then me, or sometimes me and Will would go, or me and Mark would go, and we'd go all, different places in Spain, rivers, reservoirs, uh, and learn how to fish, you know things like terracio, uh, yeah, blue fishing, um, and um, it, you know it's all uh, it's all adds up there, isn't it? all that experience. Totally different style, isn't it? And that's the totally, that's yeah. Thing. yeah. We, fish, we fish on a drain um, in Toledo, like a like a like a uh, irrigation drain, really. Fish with like twenty or thirty gram flat floats for catfish, and, <laughs> you know. So it's 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 a massive uh, massive advantage you've got. Yeah, no, totally. When you've, when you've done that for, for you know, I started with sense in two thousand and six. 
Mm. So whatever that is now, 15, 16 years. Yeah. And um, you know, I've been over to France quite a lot of fishing and whatever. So, so Do you have input into their range of floats? Their, you know, well, they do everything, don't they? Boxes, luggage yeah, and all sorts. Yeah, we, we, yeah we did, we've designed floats, some of the some of the UK ranges, some of the, uh, some of the canal ones, the Kennet and Avon and the Bayses, some of the uh, river ones, the Avons and the Thames. We've had uh, their our designs. Um, obviously, ground bait. We've got a new range of ground bait out for the commercial market, fully enough. But you know, they've been designed by us in the UK. Yes. Um, there's a, there's a problem with France, with France, you see, because they use um, a lot, a lot of a lot of cargoes in this country are made using ground crumb and fish meal and whatever else they want to put in it. Now, the French bread crumb. It's something called Chapeleur, which is obviously French bread, and it yeah. doesn't act the same as 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 English ground crumb. So we've had to get over that, and that's why we haven't really had any outstanding uh, commercial ground baits until now, really. But these new ones, we've we've found a source of proper ground crumb, and uh, they should be out in the next one. So I think they're out now, to be fair. So hopefully they're going to make some kind of impact on the commercial market as well. Fantastic. Great. This, I, I think the uh, the spa, what's always interested me, and it, again, it crops up in one of the other podcasts I found quite interesting, was about the way that we, when we fish in summer, obviously the fish come to the surface. However, a lot mm. of these places in Europe and and, and overseas, um, when it's hot in the likes of Spain and southern France and whatnot, the last place that the fish want to be is on the surface and they go to the bottom where it's cooler. It. So it's almost yeah. like the other way around. So yeah. how do you get your head around that mindset when, you, when you're fishing these different places? Well, it's, it's definitely the fact that, like, like I said, you know, we've been, we've been, a, we've been away so many, different, so many times, so many different venues between us. You know, you think you've got, you got, you know, over the years we've had people like Bob and, uh, and you've got Alan Scottord and Steve Gardner. Mm. You imagine where they fish. They fish more than more than anybody in, in more countries than anybody, and yeah. they just they just know these things, or, or they know they've got an idea of what's going to happen, and you know we can practice a little bit more um, advanced really than we would if we just turned up cold, really. To be honest. Well, that knowledge then, then has been passed through over years and years, hasn't yeah. it? Through yeah. through probably from you know before Dick Clegg's reign it's just sort of gone down and do you know yeah. who the one name is through all these podcasts through all the international mainly the old school lads who they all say is, was their inspiration and who mm. has, has passed on probably the most knowledge for, for England over the last 40 years have a guess who they've all name checked <coughs> um, <laughs> I would probably say are you going to say Kim Milton no, be before him. He, he would and, be one that was uh, benefited. Yeah, exactly. Everybody yeah. says Kevin Ashurst. He was the leader. Yeah. He was the strategist. He was the one yeah. that that learned how the feeding really quick. And they all say, you know, that so it's, that that knowledge has been passed through through everybody. And now you're doing the same with the with the new lads that are coming through as well, which is just a, a great way of doing things, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he was he was you know, he was the pioneer, I suppose, of of in you know, fishing generally, never mind international fishing, when you took it to a different level, and you know, we're, we whatever we do now is always on the back of that, I suppose, isn't it? Really, you know, when you was a youngster, and obviously they, they talk, they a lot of um older veterans, shall we say, which you're not in yeah. that league yet, um, <laughs> they all talk about the, the glory days of the Trent and whatnot, and actually, the reality of it is probably the Trent's fishing better now than it ever was, but. You know what Absolutely. they're talking about, yeah. the big matches, the, the yeah. hundreds and hundreds of peggers. Um, did you ever fish against any of those old greats? You know, you're Ian Eats of this world, you Kevin's on the river. 
it's strange because um, the trend was brilliant all the way through, and I live I, I lived in Derby and still would live on the outskirts of Derby. And our circuit was so good in the upper trend, we never went to the middle trend. Oh, you didn't? Okay. Oh, all right. We, also, we stopped at Burton on Trent, Willington, Shard. Was Shard as as, yeah. It was as far south as we went. We never went anywhere near Nottingham, to be honest, because the, the fishing was so good where we were. We, we had, and the matches were so plentiful. There was never any need to do that, really. It's two separate circuits almost. Ah, you'd, have all, you'd, have all, you'd have all those from the West Midlands coming to the Upper Trent, mm. and I think all those from like Sheffield and Lincoln and, and wherever went to the Middle Trent, and, mm. and, and no, nobody ever met up. Like, I've got the impression. I never ever heard of people like John Dee and Dave Thomas fishing at Shardlow or, or uh, a Swarkston, you know? Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. I never it, even distinguished between the two. It's a really good no, point. No, no, massive difference, you know, and um, then they would never come up to us and, and like, your Dave Harrells and your Dave Howells and, and Nigel Balls would never go to Nottingham. They'd always fish at Willington and Swarkston. But there's massive circuits on both, really. Yeah, yeah, no, interesting. So do you still fish the river a lot now, or do you just not get a chance? No, that, that is that is where I want to fish mostly, really, the rivers. Any rivers, really. Anything that moves is, you know, that's where I started, and that's and that's where I've ended up, really. I wanted to fish, only fish natural venues, really, or certainly fish the natural fish, uh, uh, nowadays, certainly in the summer, it's all about things like river fest and that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm fishing rivers all the time. In the winter, I do on commercials, but it's well, it's, it's always for for silverfish matches, which are getting more and more popular. Well, every I've year. seen your name pop up quite a bit on this Rycroft fishery, looks which looks a a, a belting venue. Yeah, yes, yeah, well, it's local. See, it's maybe it's maybe half an hour from 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 my house from where I live, so it's perfect really for me. It's um, just three or four different lakes, and and it's not it's not massive weights. Thirty pounds a massive weight, really, usually. Mm. Um, but you know, you have to think about it. Uh, you have to they don't give themselves up, and yeah. um, it's good. Yeah, I like it. And I also go to a place called um, uh, Meadowlands in Coventry. Oh that, yes, never fished it, but heard great things about it. Yeah, that's probably the best silverfish commercial in the country. Um, you know, official league on there, which is probably the most competitive league. In the country again. Is that a yeah. team league or individual? No, just just individual again. Um, uh, you got you got the only toes there as well, really. <laughs> no, I can <laughs> imagine. I mean, I know the likes like Darren Cox and and, and the yeah, likes. Yeah, the great Darren Cox, Steve. Oh, they're all there. Swino. Yeah, you know, yes. So they're all there. It's it's a great uh, it's a great event. No, it's not one I've uh, I've had chance to, to get over that way, but I have heard good things about um, yeah, Maryland's yeah. for sure. Yeah, there's big weights on there. You need 30 pound every time you go, really. Great fishing. Yeah, great Brilliant. Fishing, yeah. yeah. Well, listen, I want to ask you about um, your world championship win, um, mm. because you are the last, so far, um, the last of the of the individuals that we've that we've had. You are, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We'd, obviously, we want that to change. I'm sure you do too, because yeah. it's, even though you you sort of got that crown, it's it's a case of uh, progression, isn't it? When every Absolutely, time we get yeah. a new one. Yeah. Um, so tell me about it. So it's in the Czech Republic, and um, if I remember rightly, uh, reading back at the time and, and doing my bit of research before we touch base um, today, uh, majority were bleak uh, fishing. Is that right? Yeah, it was um, it was a strange river. It's a big river. Um, powerful river, really, and um, but there were some fish in there. There were some big fish in there. We caught we caught some um, carasio, and on practice, some, in practice we caught some bream. Um, there was there was some roach in there, definitely. Mm. 
and some carts. They did show one of the days in the, on the event. But we had a lot. We had a, it wasn't, wasn't fantastic fishing, and uh, the weather was horrific. Yeah, uh, all week, raining and windy. In fact, I remember one of the days we went. We went on one of the practice, you know, official practices, and, and that whole thing never went. It was that bad. Oh. They just they just stopped in the hotel. And yeah. um, I remember on the Friday we fished on the, the day before the event, and uh, it was it was raging rain, and all we could catch was bleak mm. fishing fishing whips and that, and um, there was nothing else to catch. Um, so got got to Apex first day. I think I drew D three if I remember rightly. Um, obviously we we had a, we had a plan to put in long lines for for big fish and whatever. But look, the main attack was going to be bleak, and they had a great a great match really. But I can't remember exactly five hundred and odd fish. Yeah, something like that. Um, again, I think for about hmm, guessing really five and a half six kilos, I think. Um, and won the section, you know, quite easily, really. It, it, despite, you know, most people fish for bleak, it just seemed to happen for me. Um, I was going to say, was everybody else doing the same, or did you yeah, have yeah, maybe, yeah, that, that they, they were the main target species because obviously in Europe, a lot, a lot, of, uh, there's a lot of bleak in Europe, and a lot of teams are, are, are fish for them a lot and are good at it as well, especially with, like the Polish and people and the French, obviously, but the Polish are excellent at it. Um, mm. Well, so, yeah, surprisingly, won the section by, 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 by quite a lot, really. So there it was, a section. I think it might have even been something like third, third or fourth in, in the match, I think. Yeah, um, overall sort of thing, yeah. Overall sort of thing on day one, yeah. Um, so that was that. Obviously, I don't think we did that. We didn't do that well first day. And um, what happens is now is that it's the markdowns and, and Mark Eddie at the time would go in, would go into a room for, to do the draw, and and we'd all stand outside and, and basically they're doing order second day, and so mm. uh, Mark would then text out individual uh, numbers to each other. We knew what section we was in, but then he would text us a number, or like just kicking right. the deals in the car, but waiting and whatever. <laughs> and this text going through. This text going through. Sean, I knew it was in A section. 33, and I've gone, oh, that's 33, brilliant. Then I've gone, after that's MPEG. Well, it is MPEG. And I'm going to say, I'm right. a brand saying that's MPEG. And um, there I was on the MPEG in A section the second day. Um, same tactic. Exactly. Same, well, no, not really. The same tactic didn't really work. Um, I didn't catch anything on the whip, couldn't get a bite. Um, I fished long for bleak for a bit. Caught, I think I caught about 50 in the first day. It wasn't really good anywhere. And we've got we've got another plan of, of putting some putting some ground bait in about six or seven meters. And you could catch the leak mm. on the bottom, and it was a bit bigger, but obviously it was a lot slower. And after yeah. about an hour and a half, I went on the bottom and started catching these great big bleak. Um, I think I caught a little carassio about ten ounce and a couple of roach and maybe a little tiny chub, about two hundred and fifty fish. And um, the scales come down. I think four kilos best, and they would got more than that. And that was it. Yeah. We won the section. Fantastic. <laughs> and then, of course, you was it, if there's anybody on your the same points from the first day, you then you're wait, waiting on count back, I guess, aren't you? On weight. On weight, yeah, but I think I think I was third on the second day as well individually, so it was going to be very difficult to beat me. Yeah, was, you know, the yeah. fishing that was, was was not very good really. So I drew the right areas on the right days, and um, obviously then pegs massive advantage, and um, yeah, there we were. So the ultimate high, I guess, does it get any better than that? Um, probably not, no. Um, 
I don't know if you know, but in 2006, I was third. Um, mm-hmm. And I tied, on, I tied on points with two other people and come third on weight. Um, ah, so I was that's... close then. And, and yeah. uh, 100, 100 grams cost me winning it then. And then the year after we went to Poland, and that was and that was that was supposed to be a bleed match. It turned out to be a roach match, and I won the section first day on that one as well. We won the section first day on that one. I think stood out, yeah. and we won it as a team. Yeah, we went there thinking it was all bleak, um, and maybe the odd skimmer. And um, it turned out it was full of roach, but nobody had ever fished for the roach. And so we fished for the roach with Joker on the hook. And nobody else, nobody else had ever, no, nobody had ever fished Joker on the hook in in Europe. They didn't know what they, they didn't know anything about it. Well, there was one section of River Bridge that was that had got a few big fish in it, and then there's four sections below the bridge that was just all roach, and we just we, we won all four sections first day. Which fantastic! Is, is on another really, you know. Um, God, I think I was fifth that year, so it was it was a pretty good two years, really. Well, how does it work? You just said then about um, the other teams didn't cotton on to the Joker on the hook sort of. Um, well, they've never tactic, done it, I guess. Yeah. The, how do these practice days work? Are they not spying? Are they not trying to see what you're up to? Could they not yeah, pick up but the, the... It's very difficult. People think, oh, you can see, you can't see anything really because you, you, there's a rope uh, usually ah. which is like at least at least 11 metres back. Now, 11 metres is mm. 33 foot. It's a long way to try and see somebody what bait they're putting on and what they're putting in the ground. <laughs> Unless they've got binoculars, yeah. Yeah, well, they've got binoculars and that, but uh, you've obviously got your back to them. It's, very, very, it's a lot harder than you'd imagine, really. Um, and we we were speak, obviously we fished people like me and Alan uh, and Steve and that we fished a lot of joker matches on the Staney, but it was just, mm. we wouldn't even get blood with them out. We just fished with two joker on on a big hook, an eighteen or a twenty. And mm. and I remember I remember one of the one of the Swiss guys coming over at the end of the second day and said what 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 you use what size up? It's twenty six, twenty eight. I've gone no eighteens, and he just couldn't get his head around it at all. <laughs> they're just putting joke on, on a hook as big as an 18 I don't think I'd be able to see a 26 nowadays yeah. no I've not got any 26 nowadays what we used to have in the old days didn't we <laughs> yeah I don't think I could see them now for sure no I wow. couldn't I've not got any 22 is the smallest hook I've got now I think it, it just shows that, that we can teach them sometimes doesn't it you know we can teach the Europeans whereas you know, we've learned so much when we go to Europe fishing that obviously we can we, we've obviously teach them things when we win um, well, that's um, an interesting point because now that was our last win as, a, as an English team, 2013, mm-hmm. and up until we had a bit, not won't call it a barren spell, but what we've had up until this year is these Eastern European teams specifically, the Germans as well. Uh, so your traditional oldie worldly teams of France, Italy, England uh, are not being lagging behind, but there's more competition, isn't there? You've got these Eastern European teams, much with yeah. Hungarians. Etc. So it's more difficult, and this year we've pulled out a bronze out of the bag. So yeah, are we getting? There's are we going to get back up there? Yeah, that's right. So. There's a few factors really. The factor is that you know pre 2000 or pre 1995, say there was only ever three teams. There was there was France, Italy, and England. They used to dominate the top three without fail, and and I'm not quite sure how that came around, but you know fairly fairly wealthy countries I suppose in Europe with good fishing. Mm. They could have bought the kit. You know, I remember people telling me about the Russians sitting on sitting on on, on census buckets fishing a whip, you know, in yeah. these matches. Having having no tackling now everybody's got access to the best tackle. They can all watch mm. YouTube videos, buy magazines and whatever, whatever, whatever. And so they've caught up very, very quickly. Um and 
Uh, and the second, well, there's, there's, there's three things. The second thing is that in Europe, they all fish to the same rules. They're 13 meter poles, blood worm, they mm-hmm. fish every Saturday, every Sunday. And it's the fish wagglers and their fish sliders and whatever, things like that. And so we don't do any of that nowadays in this country. Um, and uh, thirdly, um, what was thirdly? Oh, you've got me. <laughs> you, you tell me. Why you think of that, though? It's interesting yeah. because w- the, the bloodworm and joker piece, it, it's really hard to get hold of now. And especially we've got all these new import laws and whatnot. So we haven't even got access to the, to the bait um, that you guys are using on the content as much as we'd like as well. No, no, I remember like when I was fishing, well, ever since I started proper match fishing, when I was on the canals and then I was going to do a lot of fishing on fish like the Stainford and Keeley Canal. We, you know, I was, I was, I was getting joker uh, on October the 1st and, and I'd be keeping bait in a bubbler or a fridge up until March. I'd have, I'd have fresh bait every week and I'd fish a blood and joker match every single week. Mm. Um, and, you know, we don't do any of it. The last time I put it on was probably two years ago in England. No, I can't even, um, I can think of one or two places where you can get it now, and it's just so difficult yeah, why well, they used to be able to go in my shop. Well, I'm not sure. They seem to be able to get it, they seem to be able to get it for, for Hallcroft quite well, and, and there's, there's a few Midlands Canal matches that, that uh, yeah. circuit those. So they must be able to get hold of it. But was mm. it, I'll go back to my third point, is the fact yes. that if you look at the venues with fish, they're very alien to us, they're very uh, different species, really. Catfish have come to the fore in Europe. We've not got any in this country, or certainly not class on chat, which is the small ones. And there is ways of fishing for them, and we're, we're only just starting to learn about them. The they're the little spiny to... ones that yeah, you get caught in yeah, your hands. Right there. And we're fishing for the fish we we don't know we don't know how to feed catfish. You've got things like uh, Nasa. Um, and, and so we're, we're starting from we're, we're way behind the way behind the curve really when it comes to these sort of things. And, and if you look at Portugal was catfish, um, there's another one that was catfish. Uh, there was another one where it was uh, I think the river in Croatia was we were fishing with 50 gram flat floats just to just to try and slow the bait down. It was that powerful, you know. You needed 120 grams to hold still, you know. So wow. very alien, very very alien um, venues and and. You know, it shows, I suppose, at the end of the day. It just, it's just how it comes out of the hat, but that, that's how it is. Um, and that's mm, well, this a, bit, a bit of a leader spell that we should have done, really. But, but this year, really good, solid bronze, you know, um, Italian soil, fantastic. Um, this blooding of youth, if you like, we've said Rory yeah. and, and, you know, the guys. So yeah. future's looking good. You, you fancy chances for next year? Uh, yes, yeah, the future's looking very good. You've got, you've got, like I say, you've got uh, Matt Godfrey who's going to be in the team forever. You've got Cameron Hughes who should be in the team forever. Uh, you've got, and then you've got your Matt Derrys and your Rory Jones and, and your James Dent to come through. Um, yeah, the future's looking good from that point of view. Definitely. Um, you know, we did, we did well in Italy. We, we went last minute almost. Um, young team, very, very difficult fishing. And we caught with the bronze, which... You know, and we would have took any medal on that on that venue. It was a very difficult mm-hmm. venue, really. Hundred percent. Well, I'm not retiring you yet, by the way. You know, obviously there's a few more, <laughs> a few more big competitions in a few. But what what is the uh, what is the future for for Sean now? I mean, is it like you say you you concentrate on the rivers, the naturals in the summer? You, you know, you 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 fish in the odd uh, silver league in the winter, etc. But what what are you plans? Do you are you really going to go for a river fest final, or are you are you Still really concentrating on your international fishing. 
No, uh, it doesn't. It doesn't really. It doesn't really sort of uh, interfere either way, really. Um, uh, you know, going back to when we started about team fishing, there isn't a lot to aim for team fishing in my area. There's a winter league, like I say. There's maybe the Evesham team thing. Maybe the there's such a challenge if it goes ahead. Um, and, and you know, I've heard a few rumours. There's a few different things going on with the national this year, or not the national, what preceding it. But I don't know the full details, but. I have fallen into that trap, if, if it is a trap, of, of, of going individual. You know, I want to I wanna fish every river for a spider. I want to uh, qualify for, for, I think it's Tom Scholar's silverfish. Um, yes. Uh, um, I've qualified for the Midland uh, Masters on the rivers already. Um, and and there's, a, there's another one around, very local to us that, that's uh, a big money, sort of £7,000 for the winner that have qualified. So, you know, that... That is going to be the future, I think, for, for me, is to is to carry on with England for as long as as I can, you know, mm-hmm. as long as, as, long as yeah. I compete and I'll carry on. But once that all comes down, then then I think it's um, it's individual text text precedence really to a degree. I think. I mean, I do love going to Ireland. Um, ah, uh, okay. How long that's going to last? But I do like going to Ireland, and and I want to do some of that as well. And so it's uh, there's plenty to go at. So- do you do the, the like the Irish festival sort of autumn time? No, I go in spring because obviously autumn time class does class with the world champs. So I go and do um, yeah. there's three three festivals in May. Well, we have been doing. Obviously, we haven't done it for the last two years, but um, that's mm. what I was doing. There's, there's the Marfans, there's the classic, and then there's the um, uh, um, Scott Memorial. So those are three weeks in Ireland in May that I go to normally. Fantastic. Never been. It's definitely on the bucket list. Have you um, not? Uh, no, I heard great things. Must go. Must get across there. Mm. It's just not never had the yeah. chance. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's better in September. I've never been in September. It is better in September. It's a bit fairer, but there's just something about it. It's, you know, it's obviously beautiful countryside. Uh, the fish, uh, it's, they're just different. The big hybrids, great big roach. Obviously, the bream is starting to come back now. It's just, it's just nice yeah. fishing, really. You know, real wild fishing. Yeah, really enjoy it. Really, yeah. real wild conditions as well. Obviously, it's usually, you know, rains and it's sunny in the same hour, never mind the same day. Um, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah of course. I do enjoy, yeah. I do enjoy that side of it. You know, and uh, yeah, it's good. Really do. It's, it's a great place. Oh, I love it. Uh, thank you very, very much for joining me. I must say, I mean, you give me get loads of insight there into into the international piece, into obviously, um, you know, how you got to where you are as well. I mean, it's not easy to map out how you get from fishing junior matches to end up being a world champion, but you give us a good idea there in a in a real concise way. And it's just you've just got to work hard. You've got to got to have talent. You've got to do what you do, haven't you? And make it make it count on the day. Yeah, I think you've just got to, um, you know, same as any, you know, same as any sport, I suppose. I know we don't, we don't get the rewards of most sports, but you've still got to put the same dedication and, you know, selfishness, I suppose, to some degree into it and, and, and work hard at it, yeah. It's difficult. Well, more trying. more to the point, what about the Rams? Are they going to stay up? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? It's a nice thought, isn't it? Who knows? Well, on that note, <laughs> massive thank you for joining me on the podcast uh, for the big no chat. Problem. No problem. For all your fishing needs, be sure to check out Fishing Evolution. Boasting two floors of branded displays, 
visit our recently expanded superstore at Hadley Road in Sleaford, where we offer a huge range of tackle from all of the leading course and cart brands, such as Nash, Fox, Corda, Drennan, Preston, Guru, Daiwa, and many, many more. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram, where we share all of the latest news and updates about products available in store. Okay, so welcome to the Tackle Shed. And as said in my monologue to this podcast, a few twists and turns on this this section where I'm actually going to delve into the archives and look how Tackle has evolved over these last 20, 30 years and the prices. (laughs) But up to modern times... I've now got on the line Mark Greatrix from Fishing Evolution, uh, full supporter of the podcast. And I thank you for all your support this last year. Mark, how are you doing? No problem at all, Dave. Uh, thanks for having us back. Yes, uh, it's good. Everything's yes. uh, good. This New Year's kicking off well. It is indeed. And a happy New Year to you and the guys in the and shop. You. Yeah. Well, uh, the purpose of my call and to sort of uh, bring you on to the, to the first podcast of 2022 is to get your industry insight into what's going to be the runners and riders for 2022. Now, first of all, give us a quick update on the shop because last time you came on the show, uh, we were expanding. Um, There was loads of racking gone in. We hadn't quite got product in, still waiting on a few more brands. So where are we in terms of brand at Fishing Evolution? Still expanding. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We've had a a busy year, a really good year, um, which has enabled us to tick a lot off which has been really, really, uh, and I, we're ahead of where we want it to be, which is also good. Um, good. Really expanded a lot of the existing brands that we just couldn't fit any more in of. Um, you know, you know yourself, and when you walk around the shop, things mm. have popped up from sort of three and four meters of display to you know eight and nine. It's crazy, and we're already sort of filling those up. And then there's loads of other sort of sub brands that we've brought in. Um, I know. Um, sort of cipher revitalized the frenzy brand which yeah. has um, come out and that seems to be going really really well that the luggage is at a, a really good price point that looks really good so that uh, looks set to be sort of well received for, for the rest of the year um done a, done a lot on the predator side uh brought in brands like spro rapala um suffix um Strengthened up a lot of the Corum Snapper, um, yes. Striking, uh, just yeah, just completely gone to town on that whole aisle, really. Um, mm. I, just, I think we probably spoke last time. There's sort of so much to the Predator Angler mm. now. Um, you get some guys are out and out live lure anglers. You've got the dead baiters, and then you've got your sort of finesse. Uh, lure style guys as well who yeah drop shot year round mm. and that's I mean we do a lot of that ourselves so, so it's really really uh, popular and, and, and passionate about that um, already got a few new brands that we're announcing for sort of 2022 Solar is one of them um, there are a few more sort of in the pipeline that hopefully within the next couple of months we'll be able to. Um, you know, introduce and mention as well and start to squeeze really? into the store. And and then again, well, I guess the focus of this chat is some of the new products that we've seen for 2022. Went to quite a few of the trade shows over October, November mm-hmm. last year. Um, and even you know, this week and last week, we've seen product from sort of Guru and 
recorder and, and some of the other companies of some of the new items that are coming out, which are I'm sure with with those brands and names set to be um, you know big hit winners, really. Yeah, yeah, no, totally, and I know. Um when I think you just said about the Predator, I, I got baffled and Bamboos were just looking at the Fox Rage stand. <laughs> and now yeah. the rest of the stuff's there. Yeah. You're like, whoa, not being a Predator angler, it's a case of, you know, where do you start sort of thing. But as we are Predator season, let's call it Predator season now, as they're fattening up before spawning yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. Um, has it been busy on that scene? Have you been selling your dead baits? Have you been doing oh, really well with those new laws? Incredibly well, yeah. I, you know, I mean, we, we um, first week back, it was just, apparent with how many people were coming in to do predator fishing and the good thing is now that we do a good cross-section of it i mean we've been doing quite a lot of dead bait style angling this year but um and towards the end of last year we focused on pike probably more so than we have with the sort of perch and um zander side of things but yeah at least we can talk with a lot more confidence and help people sort of yeah. point them in the right direction with that and we i know we're personally trying to sort of broaden our fishing horizons as much as the shop's growing as well. We've, we've mm. been doing, I think I've mentioned before, we've been doing a bit of catfishing and, yeah. um, you know, Xander's definitely on the uh, sort of target list a lot more for us as well at the minute. So, yeah, all different facets of angling that, um, you know, we, we need to be able to talk about in confidence. So it's, well, it's you good might to have broaden seen... our own horizons, to be fair. Dead right. You might have seen the £20 Xander that came out. I in the sure trip. did. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, just goes Fred, to show. It's, it's so close and so accessible now, isn't it? You know, yeah. um, and to be fair, there's been some really, you know, knowing the Boston drains and stuff, there's been some really large pike again and perch caught on there too. So there's some really good fishing to be had. They're really, no, absolutely. And, and, and not too far away. What about carp baits? Because I know last year we spoke quite a lot about, you know, the DNA stuff um, was going down really well, the bug and all the rest of it. And is there any standout brands that, that maybe some some new innovation um for this year yeah so we, we went to the national tackle uh trade show in october and we're quite surprised to see that they're expanding their range of bait i mean they've got a, a successful sort of tour um bait range with their scope squid and citrus and then they've got some more sort of um tried and uh, tested stuff is not it yeah, they've got a few other items as well in, in their range that appeals to sort of um, anglers who are looking for sort of a bit of variation and things as well. So mm. uh, they're bringing out uh, a range of liquids, um, quite diverse to be fair, compared to what we're seeing with other um, companies and also particles which are flavoured, um, such as, you know, Scopex, Squid, Hemp and things like that. I'm not seeing too much about it on national social media as of yet. We've got it all on order. Um so we'll be looking forward to squeezing that in when it's launched. I know it's um, it should hopefully be within the next sort of month or two that we start to see some of that ingot, but I think that'll go well. that look really good. Things like worm cell, they've got them all in open jars, and you yeah. can have a proper good whiff of these. Um, and, they, they, yeah, they look really, really good, so um, I'm sure that'll go well. That's interesting. And you mentioned um, Corda, new, new carp gear. Any other brands for, for gear, reels, rods, terminal gear? Yeah, well, I mean, just touching on the quarter thing, I mean, they've got so much to go out. I mean, they were predominantly terminal tackle um, over the last few years. They've started to put in all of the sort of luggage items, nets and things like that. But obviously, um, sister brand to quarter is, is Guru, um, mm. and you, you'll know yourself from that one, Dave. They've obviously got the Avengers pole yeah. uh, on the cusp. Um, actually had our hands on the Aventus uh, landing net handles last okay. week. 
Yep, the four meter plus one and the and the F one um, that handle they're due for launch. I think very early Feb, so mm. we're just getting those on pre order. They look really really good. Um, there's a few other bits and pieces coming out from those guys. Um, another brand that is um, sort of diversifying a little bit is Signet, which was uh, it's, it's part of the Cipher International sort of family. Mm. There's Aqua Tracker, Frenzy, and Signet. Signet have predominantly been sort of metalware, um, swingers, buzzers, hangers, catapults, and a few things like that, whereas now they've got a terminal tackle and a luggage brand. But what's been interesting about the luggage brand, and again, we got to see this, I think it was just before Christmas, um, is they're bringing out a really, really keen price point sort of luggage Um, range. Um, So items at a very, very attractable rate, and that goes, I think there's a um, sort of like a scheduled sort of series of launches throughout the year if you will okay. hopefully i think there's the the luggage will be one of the first and we've got racking on order for that as well i think that's sort of the end of jan and then there's things like chairs and beds uh and bivvies landing nets fish care all those kind of good things as well Four months uh, they're doing then really yeah fashion. they are and it's 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 a very very good price point I mean, you get obviously trying to cater now more for um you know with adding solar and brands like that to you know to have more premium brands in as well but it's you've, you've got to still have those price point brands in and the gear looks really good so um i'm sure it'll go well I'm great sure it'll go well so yeah we've sort of bought into that one as well find some space for that we're just finishing off with uh with i guess course match gear if you like um yeah. preston's did loads of stuff um just before before the year turned out obviously new poles bits and pieces you've mentioned you've got anything more with uh, um the two, I, I think of those two, the new rackings, I think of the map and I think of the yeah. expansion with, with Preston. So those two brands, are, is there much more to come from map and, and Preston's? Yeah, map, I think we'll probably expand a little bit more um, as we will potentially Dyer as well, really. Um, Dyer, Dyer, sort of changing the subject a little bit, Dyer have got quite a bit coming up throughout the um, year as well, again, which will sort of be phased over the year. Great. Um, Preston is a super strong seller, um, continuing to go from strength to strength. Uh, we'll definitely be expanding that. They're obviously, the pole range yeah. is really, really good. We've already sold some of their poles. We'll wait for some more of those to come back in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, as we said last time, they've really upped the game on their clothing range, and we've seen that. There, We've got a lot of their winter clothing garments yeah. in, and they sort of sold through, and we've just had top-ups of those again this week, and already items are going. So, been really well received um i think they're probably almost sort of leading the 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 game at the minute on on the clothing i know guru are pushing them hard and we've got all of the sort of tri-layer clothing coming in from matrix but they do seem to be um yeah doing particularly well in that respect i mean obviously on the the matrix side we've got all of the horizon x luggage which is now Mm. in the market and um that is looking really good and has been a strong seller so far that it's been in the store as well. So I think, yeah, it, it bodes well for, um, you know, those brands over the sort of coming year, really. And, um, you know, they're obviously not stopped there. There'll be plenty of other launches, I'm sure, in and throughout the year. 100%. Well, I guess just finishing off, uh, just before we wrap up, footfall-wise, um, last year we were all excited about the fact that we'd held on to those anglers that had either... Yep began in 2020 or had rejoined the sport um how was 2021 in terms of new people coming into the sport or was it those guys that had continued fishing 
uh, from the first lockdown? Uh, it's a bit of an odd one. It's a, it's a hard, I know it's a hard one for us to measure because we've grown year on year. So you're never really comparing apples for apples, if you like, from last yeah. year to this year. So we've always done something different. So you expect them to see more, uh, which we have. But um, yeah, I think some some definitely have stayed with it. Um, I wouldn't say everybody we saw in that mad rush when you know you couldn't go to the pub or go to the football game or. Um, doing anything else, I don't think they've all sort of stuck stuck with it. But there's definitely a, a, an uplift in in what we're seeing. I don't know if the if it's that curve started to flatten off a little bit now. Um, but yeah, I think as we've sort of worked away to make the store bigger, we're attracting people from different areas. Uh, we're still seeing new faces, obviously, which is great. So it's sort of showing that we're getting plenty of good comments that showing that we're doing the right thing in that respect. But um, yeah, we'll see how this year goes. Brilliant. Well, final yeah, plug for you. Um, the, the one big thing I love about Fishing Evolution is the loyalty piece. So what's your plans for the loyalty card for 2022? So as you, I don't know if you've been in this year so far, but we're, we're sort of busily renewing everybody on that one. As you know, it's, a, it's an annual scheme where you can work all the way up to 10%. But once you're on the scheme, um, we don't start you from scratch in the new year. So you start with half the spend you got to last year. So if you hit 10%, you're already going to start the year on 5%. I am. I'm on it's, 5 Yeah. So it's incredible. Yeah, because you took the box and I think you had the Matrix platform as well, didn't you? <laughs> I have, yeah. You pennies before the end of the year. But yeah, yeah. I, again, it is well received, that scheme. Uh, and, and we do know how sort of popular it is. A lot, a lot of customers do comment on it. when I know when they sort of say, well, how's it work? And you sort of run through it. And I'm like, oh, right, fine, I guess. Because it does add up over a year. It really it does. does, even whether it's the odd big spend. It's not every day of the week or, you know, every week of the year that you're going to want a new rod or a new box. But when you do, they bump, obviously, your total up. And, and also, just for the guys who are hitting the bank every week, you know, the bait, the terminal yeah. tackle, it all adds up. You know, it's easy soon spend 20, 30, 40 quid, isn't it? It's adds it up does. over the course of a year. So Brilliant. Well, what we'll do is we'll probably touch base again later on in the year, see how things are going, if there's any exciting stuff that we can announce as well. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure there will well. be. We've got, we'll, got quite a bit planned for the year again. Um, we'll keep announced it all on Facebook. So, yeah, hopefully everybody can keep their eyes on that. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there'll be more to mention and talk about next time we catch you on. Cheers, Mark. Catch you soon. No problem. Good speed, Dave. Thanks a lot, mate. Okay, so a big thank you there to Mark Greatrix from Fishing Evolution for giving us an overview of uh, what could be coming for 2022. And just to finish off, as promised, um, we're going to just delve into the archives, just like we did um, in the press pack. Slightly different. We're not going to go so far back. Uh, I think 1993 was the, the one from the press piece. Uh, we're going to look at an edition of Match Fishing Magazine, and this one is June 2001, so over 20 years ago. Uh, and the reason why I chose this one, because I was flicking through, the first thing that struck me was how thick the magazine is. Uh, there are 150 pages to the magazine. Now, there's a lot of advertisements in here, way more than we get in the most up-to-date version. So that might answer that fact. But polls, there's a section in here called the top 12. And it gives the, as I'll give you the, the, the verbiage from the page, modern trends dictate every matchman needs a cat pole in his armory. We've lined up a dozen of the best buys around. Every pole listed here carries a recommended price tag of £700 or less. This is what you could get for 700 quid in 2001, uh, specifically for carp fishing. So one thing I think that has changed since then was there was a very, very 
clear split in terms of you either had a carp, a strong pole, uh, or a silverfish pole. Now, poles tend to do everything, don't they? I mean, I know you've got your dedicated margin poles, but so here we go. Um, so the Shimano Carp Cruncher, 14 metres, weighs 1,200 grams, uh, comes in at 59999. The Abu. Crikey, last time Abu brought a pole out. Abu Agenda Carp, 13 metres, 915 grams, £649.99. Um, these come with one standard top four kit and two extra to carp top two kits. The Daiwa TDP 111, 13 metres, 856 grams, comes with um, three extra carp top two kits, £699. Uh, I'll pick one more as an example. Um, FAPS. Does anybody remember FAPS? FAPS FR250, 13 metres, 1100 grams at 13 metres. Uh, comes with two extra carp top two kits, £699.99. So that gives you an idea of, of what they were uh, promoting pole wise back in 2001. I also come across uh, a section around bait, ground bait. Uh, it's called Kickstarters, this one. It says water temperatures are still low, which is strange because this is June 2001. So they shouldn't be low by then. But it talks about using a potent ground bait to kickstart a slow swim. Now, they list two, four, six, eight, ten ground baits. And there's only three of these, I think, that are still around to this day. Um, so first of all, it highlights Marine Halibut Pellet um, from Dynamite, which is still a massive seller. £3.50 at the time for a kilo bag. Also, um, Swim Stim Green, £2.79 for a 900 gram bag. So they're the two that we know still sell really well. There's Crazy Bait Gold from Census. I think that's still around £3.99 at the time. But then you've got some baits here that are long gone. Anybody remember Silly Bait? I remember that. I used to buy the black one. Um, silly bait, £3.95 for a kilo. Vandenine carp dust. TNT carp porridge, two ninety nine for a 500 gram bag. PA mega bait carp powder, £2.85 for 900 gram bag. Manic carp fish meal uh, by Mazella, £2.75 for a kilo. And super carp net buster by cats and dogs. Do you remember them? Cats and dogs. I used to do some great hookable pellets. I used to get the monster crab ones. I remember them. £3.49 for a kilo bag. Um, let me skip to the final before we wrap up. Skip to the, the new tackle section just to see what was out um, in June 2001. Um, so you had a new Dio rod. It was a Dio Harrier Z Mark II, 13-foot. That's £94.99. Um what is this? Shakespeare Bionic Braid, 16 quid for 100 meters. Um, Preston Reflow, direct mono. This must be one of the, the first low diameters, I guess. Uh, 5.99 from 0.12 up to 0.28. A Milo platform, uh, 79.99. So it just gives you an idea. What else have we got here? Um, Champion Elastic is a solid elastic. Champion brand might not mean a lot to you, but this new range of brightly coloured elastic is produced by accessories expert Future. Remember Future? They're the guys that took over Image. Uh, £1.25 for that um, solid elastic. Let's just finally jump to one of the adverts. There's loads of adverts in it. It's crazy. Um, and try and find... So, Dance and Angling. Here we go. This will do. 
Danson Angling were advertising at the time. A Milo Tardis 8 draw box. Foot plate side tray. 450 quid. Uh, Daiwa Super Deluxe Matchman Range. They still do that now. Hold all, net bag, um, carry all, granite ball, $69.99. Um, what else have they got on offer? A Boss six draw box, £305. So, uh, oh, let's just pull a rod out of interest as well. The old Daiwa, uh, we got there. Connoisseur Stillwater Feeder Rod, £199, down to, to £119. So yeah, it brings back some memories flicking through this, and we'll uh, we'll keep doing this over time. We can go further back in time, or we can go a bit more modern. But yeah, twenty one years ago, uh, you were talking seven hundred seven hundred pound for a cart pole, um, which pretty much looks like they weighed a ton with very few top kits. How times have changed. So that's it. That is the end of our first podcast of twenty twenty two. I hope you've enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. Please share. Please subscribe, please like, all that jazz. And uh, we'll speak on the next one. Thanks for listening.